theft is shaking up the Bitcoin world. Exchange platform Bitfinex announced the hack and cyber theft of 120,000 Bitcoins. In 2016, Bitfinex, based in Hong Kong, was one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world. Broadly speaking, cryptocurrencies are these digital tokens, and there are different kinds. So there's Bitcoin, there's Ethereum, there's tens of thousands of other ones that people have created. And they are just these basically digital records that people are transferring from one person to the next. And the value, quote unquote, value of those Bitcoins or those Ether, whatever it is, depends very much on, you know, what's happening in the market. And so the price is very volatile. This is Molly White, a software engineer, writer and researcher. She's been researching crypto for a while now. You can think of it sort of like the stock market, but it is actually very different from the stock market because the stock market is highly regulated. So anytime a company goes public, there's a huge number of hoops they have to jump through. They have to make disclosures around their assets and their executives and things like that. With crypto, they've largely been able to dodge those regulations to date, which has allowed for this enormous sort of volatile, speculative industry to emerge. Molly remembers this huge Bitfinex hack. See, what you got to understand is that when it comes to crypto, users hold their coins in digital wallets. Those wallets are password protected, and that password is called the key. And if you know someone's key, then you can just open up that wallet. So the hackers, well, they got a hold of a bunch of keys. So my understanding is that it was not any sort of technical thing. It was actually just a very classic case of social engineering. They got some passwords, and that's all you really need. There is no, like, hacker man wearing, like, a black ski mask kind of thing. This is Ryan Broderick, who writes Garbage Day, a newsletter about the Internet. I think it was literally just they were able to talk their way in and get the passwords they needed to get the crypto out. The hackers got the keys to a number of Bitfinex users' wallets and then transferred the Bitcoin to a different wallet. So imagine snagging a couple of dollars from your parents' wallet when they weren't looking and then putting it in yours. Multiply that by a bazillion. By the time Bitfinex was able to stop the hack, nearly 120,000 Bitcoin had been stolen, which was like $70 million. The day after the hack, the platform restored some functions, but trading and withdrawing Bitcoins are still disabled. Now, cryptocurrencies are powered by blockchain technology, something that essentially acts as a ledger, listing transactions that everyone can see. Like, imagine a really long CVS receipt. And every transaction, every new Bitcoin that's added makes the CVS receipt longer. So you can see transactions happening, like Bitfinex could see the stolen Bitcoin get moved to another wallet. But that's where the transparency stops, because digital wallets don't need to be tied to any individual. They can be anonymous. So Bitfinex knew the address of the digital wallet holding the stolen Bitcoin, but they had no idea who it was or how to get it back. Because once a transaction is initiated, it can't be reversed. 
there wasn't much recourse at the time, especially. A lot of customers who were using Bitfinex lost a lot of money because there was no way of getting it back and there was no protection like there would be with a bank if a bank were to go under. There was no FDIC insurance. And so it was really quite a catastrophe in the history of cryptocurrency. As you can imagine, this rattled the crypto community and the value of Bitcoin dropped just in a few hours. Bitfinex put a hold on trades and reported the theft to authorities, but there wasn't much they could do. The blockchain only lists transactions if the crypto is moved to another wallet, another coin exchange, or transferred from cryptocurrency to physical currency. If the coins just sit in a wallet, there's nothing to list on the database. And so one of the things that I think allowed the Bitfinex hackers to go unidentified for years is that they didn't cash out altogether that much of the cryptocurrency. A lot of it remained in crypto wallets for a long time. While those coins just sat and sat, they not only protected the identity of the thieves, but they also accrued value. And I'm talking about a lot of value. The coins went from being worth millions to hundreds of millions to billion. These hackers were literally holding on to a treasure chest. The question would be, how would they cash it out and still avoid getting caught? It went unsolved for a number of years. You know, I think some people sort of lost hope that it would ever be solved. But that all changed this year. The department has charged Ilya Lichtenstein and Heather Morgan for their alleged roles in a conspiracy to launder stolen cryptocurrency taken during the 2016 hack of a virtual currency exchange. I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheat, the show where we ask the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, we go deep into the world of crypto scams. This had been one of the most shocking hacks in crypto history. And finally, in 2022, the police had made an arrest. So I heard about it, I guess, when everybody else heard about it. I heard about it when they were arrested and spent an afternoon processing, I guess you would say, their social media accounts and kind of trying to get an idea of who these people were. Ilya Lichtenstein and Heather Morgan. These were the names that were now tied to one of the most notorious crypto hacks. People took to the internet to see what details they could get on these two. They're young, in their 30s, married, and they rent a million dollar condo on Wall Street in Manhattan, where they lived with their bango cat, Clarissa. Headlines called them a crypto Bonnie and Clyde, a couple in crime. But there's a little more to it. I would say they are a fantastic example of peak millennial cringe. There is a, uh, a very specific kind of attention-seeking millennial. You know them when you see them. They are the white people who do parody rap videos. They are the people who do like prank channels, the people who are just like kind of obsessed with the idea of the internet being all about them. And I would say these people fit that description quite well. Yeah, I think we've all seen these kind of folks on the internet. Ilya, who goes by the nickname Dutch, is more than a crypto enthusiast and former investor. He's also a part-time mentalist magician. And Heather, she's a self-proclaimed entrepreneur, journalist, and, yes, rapper. 
By day, she sees herself as a marketing expert who started her own firm in 2014 and wrote for various publications like Forbes and Inc. Also by day, she cultivates a number of different online personas. The couple has a very active life online, mainly on TikTok. They give people a window into their domestic life, the trials and tribulations of marriage, including things like getting access to the kitchen. Can you come over here? No, kitchen's closed. <laughs> One video shows Ilya tasting the food that they feed Clarissa, the cat. It's gotten to the point where people are eating cat food online for clout. So wait, how, you're telling me that you were buying Clarissa's food? It needs salt, it needs pepper, but other than that, like it's pretty good. And that's why I bought a bunch, because I'm like, this is like palatable to me, it'll be palatable to her. Heather brings multiple different characters to the internet, donning a heavy southern accent or fluorescent neon clothes. You guys like space cream pants? I'm all about them. I designed them. They're holographic. Kind of shame or bully me there because like in junior high, I got popcorn stuck in my eye. I really love eating the little radishes with the cream fried chicken. Can you see the radish? But really, her most memorable character and the finest example of millennial cringe is her rap persona, Razokan, a.k.a. the Crocodile of Wall Street. One of her recent videos uploaded to YouTube is called Versace Bedouin. Now, I have to apologize because after you listen to this podcast, you're probably going to go watch this video on YouTube. So forgive me for wasting whatever amount of time you're going to spend watching that video. Hopefully, after five seconds, you'll be like, yeah, this ain't it. In the video... Razokan wears a sparkly gold jacket, round sunglasses, and a black and pink snapback hat. She's just wandering around Wall Street, kneeling in front of buildings and rapping in doorways. If you want to call it rapping. There's shots of her clothed in a bathtub, signing random pieces of paper. Since 2016, Heather's tried to get her rap career off the ground. In fact, a lot of things have happened to Heather and Ilya since 2016. Even though the couple, according to Vanity Fair, met in 2013, they didn't get engaged until 2019. They got married in 2021 in Culver City when they were already the target of federal surveillance. The bride wore a gold gown and a crown. In their teary vows, the couple referred to their shared love of waffle parties. And at the wedding reception, she performed another song of hers, Turkish Martha Stewart. So these are the hackers behind one of the most notorious scams in crypto history? By all accounts, Ilya and Heather Morgan do not appear to be sort of criminal masterminds. Now, to be clear, Ilya and Heather aren't charged with the hacking but for conspiring to steal this money. Essentially, the government thinks they played a role in this. They're just not sure what the role is yet. But if they were involved, well, they sure didn't keep a low cover like you'd expect people who stole a whole lot of money to do. You always wonder like what you would do if you were sitting on millions and millions of dollars. And apparently the answer is make bad YouTube videos. <laughs> not only did they make raggedy YouTube videos, 
They also posted about crypto a fair amount online. Ilya called out articles that didn't include information about how to secure your digital wallet. Heather gave presentations about the power of social engineering, warning people about scams. So you got to ask, are these folks serious? They're trying to teach people not to be scammed, all while allegedly doing the scamming. Maybe that was their trick. After all this internet nonsense, maybe it seems obvious. But how did the authorities find them? They did cash out some of it. You know, they traded it for things like gift cards, and and they sort of went through some hoops to launder the money in ways that it might be difficult to trace. But it wasn't really until they started moving a lot of that cryptocurrency earlier this year that the law enforcement was really able to track them down. Find out how after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they've done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Bitcoin, the first of all digital currencies, was released in 2009. Since then, more and more cryptocurrencies have flooded the market, partly because it's pretty easy to make one. Since crypto is relatively new, there is very little regulation. And the lack of regulation that makes it a high-risk, high-reward space also has allowed something else to happen. It's become a target for hacks and scams. The lack of regulatory oversight has made it just a breeding ground for scams. I mean, it is incredible the number of scams that are happening in the cryptocurrency industry. It's unlike anything else, I think. Another cryptocurrency bridge was hacked, this one amounting to $100 million stolen. It's the third major bridge hack this year. The vulnerabilities of cryptocurrencies to hacking have been yet again exposed in the latest round of hacks through Solana. Hackers are draining many accounts on Coinbase. That's the biggest crypto platform in the U.S. The hack uh, comes as a Binance launches a new program aimed at training law enforcement and prosecutors to fight against cyber crimes. What we have seen hacked, and this was, what, a half a billion, two billion total, it's always when crypto is moving from from one chain, one blockchain to another, is that when it happens in a cross-chain bridge? What needs to be done? It's become sort of this whole industry. You know, there are, there are these projects popping up right and left that 
uh, are making people a lot of money because they are duping retail investors into getting into their projects. And now there's actually, you know, groups of people who are putting money into crypto with the understanding that a lot of these things are scams. But, you know, if you can just get in on the Ponzi scheme early enough, you might still be able to make money. So it's this very strange industry that sort of emerged. While scams have skyrocketed in the world of crypto, authorities are working to update their investigative efforts. A lot of the technology that allows law enforcement to trace crypto transactions has really matured in the years since the Bitfinex hack. But there's still a number of ways to evade detection. Even though transactions register on the blockchain, there are ways to still, quote unquote, cover your tracks, like switching currency exchanges. So as soon as someone sends their cryptocurrency to a centralized exchange, like Coinbase, Binance, those types of places, you lose the transaction transparency because it sort of goes into this big black box that is that large exchange and you can't trace those specific tokens anymore. Now, those exchanges typically require information from the customers. And so if a thief were to transfer funds into a centralized exchange, you might be able to get in touch with those crypto exchanges to try to determine their identity. And so people will use all sorts of other services that don't require that type of identification. The DOJ alleges that Heather and Ilya tried to do this, move small amounts of the stolen Bitcoin into other currency exchanges. Some exchanges realized something fishy was going on and shut down these accounts. But there was one platform that didn't step in, one that operated on the dark web, a marketplace called Alphabay. An Alphabay staff member claimed that this group serviced more than 40,000 illegal vendors. It was one of the largest criminal marketplaces out there. It's the place to find illegal drugs like fentanyl and heroin, counterfeit goods, stolen ID documents, guns, and toxic chemicals. It was 10 times larger than Silk Road, which, if you hadn't heard of it, was another huge dark web marketplace that was shut down in 2013. The authorities allege that Heather and Ilya moved stolen Bitcoin through Alphabay and then other coin exchanges to try and cash out. But they kept hitting dead ends. There was no way to transfer the bulk of the loot without showing their hand. And the authorities might know this because in 2017, they shut Alpha Bay down. Today, the Department of Justice announced the takedown of the dark web market Alpha Bay. This is the largest dark market web place takedown in world history. As part of the seizure, they most likely got access to Alpha Bay's transaction logs which would allow them to identify the account moving the stolen Bitfinex coin, which was in Ilya's name. I think largely the law enforcement agents were able to use the transparency of the blockchain to trace these transactions until they got to a cash out point where they were able to connect, you know, the people who went and got the cash to these individuals. By the time the DOJ tracked down Ilya and Heather, the stolen coin was valued at over $4.5 billion. Now they had enough evidence to get search warrants. Learn what they found after the break. First came the online raid. 
the FBI was able to get access to Ilya's cloud account and poke around in there. They were able to get a traditional search warrant to get access to a cloud storage service, you know, like a Dropbox, where the hackers were just hanging on to a spreadsheet that had wallet addresses and wallet keys in it, which is pretty incriminating, I think. Yeah, so much for digital security here. Ilya had a spreadsheet of keys to digital wallets, ones that had been targeted in the Bitfinex hack. Definitely not the best move if you're going to be stealing what are now billions of dollars worth of cryptocurrency. And next came the real raid. On January 5th of 2022, the FBI raided Ilya and Heather's apartment. They'd been scouting the place for days in preparation. They arrived at 7 a.m. with agents from the Department of Homeland Security and the IRS Criminal Investigation Division in tow. You don't want either one of those departments on your behind. They took the elevator to the top of the sleek Wall Street building and knocked on the door. Heather and Ilya were shot. They were given a choice. You can stay while the raid is happening or leave. Heather said they'd leave, but she wanted to take Clarissa the cat. Of course, nobody wants the FBI raiding your house while your cat is sitting there alone. But instead of grabbing the cat, though, she tried to lock her phone. The feds wrestled it out of her hand. That phone was one of around 50 electronic devices they found in the apartment. In case the authorities weren't sure what the couple could be doing with all these phones and tablets, Heather and Ilya made it pretty clear. They had a Ziploc baggie full of phones that law enforcement found under their bed that was labeled burner phones. All right, come on, people. A bag labeled burner phones. My goodness. And under the bed? Yeah. Why would anybody look under the bed to try to find something they think they were hiding in the bedroom? The whole thing is just like people who watch too many movies. The FBI also found $40,000 wrapped up in pink bands. They were clear bags of money in various foreign currencies. Two books had their centers hollowed out. Okay, we're talking under the bed and in hollowed out books is where you are hiding things. See, this is where watching movies will help you out and tell you that those are the first places the feds will look. So they had all of this stuff that was incriminating just sitting real pretty in the apartment. You steal a historic amount of Bitcoin. You don't immediately flee the country. And you spend all of your time trying to get attention on the internet. It's lunacy. It's honestly crazy. And the more that I think about it, the like angrier I get. <laughs> I'm not advocating fleeing the country after stealing crypto. I'll be really clear. But, I mean, if I did, if I did steal crypto, that's what I would do. I would not stay in America. There's some evidence that the pair was preparing to flee. Ilya has citizenship in Russia, too. The little bit of stolen Bitcoin he was able to cash out, he'd been using to buy gold coins and gift cards that could be used for air miles. He also started what seemed to be fake investment companies. Plus, the couple had been doing a lot of international travel in recent years. Egypt, Hong Kong, and Vietnam. Domestic trips to the West Coast, staying in five-star hotels, 
One trip in particular was a month long to Ukraine. Authorities found that the pair had sent packages to a hotel that contained fake Ukrainian passports, SIM cards, and information to open new bank accounts. In the online search of Ilya's cloud storage, investigators also found a folder called Personas with a file called Passport Ideas. In the file, links to another darknet vendor that sold IDs and passports. It was almost comical the extent to which they sort of implicated themselves in this alleged crime. I think it also illustrates that there are a lot of ways that these hacks are happening and and scams and things like that. And not all of it requires a large degree of technical sophistication. A month later, Heather and Ilya were arrested. Today, the Department of Justice has dealt a major blow to cyber criminals looking to exploit cryptocurrency. It's unclear, I think, to this point, whether law enforcement believes that they're behind the hack or if they believe that they were just sort of stooges who were, you know, being used by the real hackers to cash out this money, which, you know, that would be, I think, a worthwhile endeavor if you were stealing billions of dollars is to sort of get other people to do the dirty work for you. The DOJ seized 94,000 Bitcoin, recovering $3.6 billion dollars. They call this the largest financial seizure in U.S. history. Authorities determined about 25,000 of the stolen coin ended up in accounts controlled by Ilya and Heather. In this case, victims from the 2016 hack might be able to recoup some of what they lost. But that's a rarity in crypto hacks. I think it's only a good thing that, you know, these bitcoins are being recovered and potentially returned to their original owners. But, you know, I think it does really illustrate a lot of the risks that people are taking when they are getting into the cryptocurrency industry that, you know, it could be years before the tokens that were stolen from you are ever returned, if they're ever returned at all. I mean, there's also a lot of crypto hacks that have gone unsolved and will probably be unsolved forever. As you all can see and have heard, there's a lot of general outlandishness to this story. So you just got to wonder, Can it really be that easy to just dip off with over 100,000 Bitcoin? Some of the hacks that we've seen, especially in recent years, have been very sophisticated and, you know, would only really be possible by someone who is very skilled in blockchain software and, and hacking and things like that. But some of these things are really not all that complicated. Every day we're seeing phishing scams that look just like any other sort of basic phishing scam that you might see. And people do fall for them. Really? All you need is a password to get into someone else's digital wallet. That's something that Heather has even rapped about as Rosalcon. She has made gestures towards things like spear phishing, which is a form of phishing, you know, the technological meaning of phishing with a PH, not literal phishing, where you basically use a very targeted approach to getting information out of a person. While the crypto world attempts to ramp up security, there's some fundamental features of the blockchain technology that will always make it a risky investment. So, for example, the fact that a transaction can't be reversed, that is sort of a key 
feature of crypto. You know, call it a feature, call it a bug. But, you know, there is no way to undo a transaction if someone steals a bunch of money. And there's not much that, you know, a crypto exchange could possibly do to change that because they are still using the blockchain at the end of the day. And so I think a lot of the time, you know, people, these companies and people are doing what they can, but they are eventually coming up against the technology itself, which limits the extent to which you can secure things like this. As of this taping, Ilya is being held in jail in Virginia. He's considered a flight risk. Heather is back in their old apartment out on a $3 million bond. Both are in talks with the government about a possible plea deal. There's a lot of retail investors that are buying into crypto now, and they're getting their stuff stolen, and they're saying, well, well, you know, how can this be possible? If my money is stolen out of my bank account, like, there should be insurance, right? There should be these checks in place. And the Bitcoin people say, well, no, we don't want that. And there is a real breakdown that's happening between the the true believers, the, the feudal warlords of Tucson, and the average Joe who sees the Coinbase commercial in the Super Bowl, downloads the app, and starts trading some some Ethereum or something. And that is going to be a problem. It's going to continue to be a problem. So I'm going to be honest with you. My knowledge of crypto is pretty moderate. But I always thought of it as a sort of modern-day gold rush. People getting really excited to be the first in on something that might lead to a windfall. But being the first sometimes means that you're taking a risk. You're risking getting scammed or worse. And this isn't to say that if you're buying Bitcoin, there's something wrong with you. I imagine for all of the listeners out there, some of you have invested in Bitcoin and it's been great. And then some of you might be like me, a little skeptical. I'd say this falls in the category of a high risk, high reward world. I'm sure you can make a whole lot of money, but at what cost? Because we all know anytime there's a risky situation that puts people in a vulnerable position, there are going to be folks who take advantage of that, circling around like vultures, waiting for the opportunity to strike. And on top of that, these scammers have the nerve to make raggedy rap videos. And speaking of these videos, one last word from me. If there's any advice I could give you today, it's to fight the temptation to watch these very videos. And I say this thinking that I'm helping you out, but I'm increasing the temptation to go watch it. So I'm just going to shut up now. Hey, folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And, of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the U.K., £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. Many individuals who are winsome and charismatic and likable actually manage to avoid prosecution or conviction. 
This is a long-standing story in American history. The sort of lovable fraudster who dances out of harm's way. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Julia Doyle. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Mixing and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Special thanks to the Sony legal team. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Ecare Egbatola. <laughs>